Good morning, church. Have to say, do miss you. But I'm also very grateful for these opportunities of gathering together online. And now we're coming up to about the midpoint of our well-being series. And the essence of this is that God, as a loving father, wants us to know peace and health, wholeness. I mean, hence the word well-being in every part of our lives. And what we've been doing is looking at the idea that we have six interrelated areas, sort of kind of fuel tanks, rather like gauges on a dashboard. And I want us to think again today how we're doing in those various areas of our lives. Where is the dial at in your gauge? Are we on a red warning light somewhere or, or amber with a bit of work to do? Or are we fine in the green zone? So the last two weeks, we've looked at both physical and emotional well-being. And today, I want us to look at that vital subject of our spiritual well-being. This is not about self-help tips and DIY guides to life. No, this is based on God's Word, the Bible. So if we're going to live the life that God has created us for, then it stands to reason that we should come to the very Creator and author of life. Centuries ago, a man called St. Augustine, he said, you, Lord, have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find you. There is a key part of you and I that only God can satisfy. You know, the best holidays, uh, that is when we can get them, and the most wonderful experiences, well, they're temporary. We seem to be on a journey of looking for the next new thing. No, there's a key part of you and me that only God can satisfy. So 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the Apostle Paul puts it in, in this way. He prays for the Thessalonians that they would be whole and holy in three areas. Spirit, soul, and body. You know, spirit, soul, and body. Now, if I say body, of course, we all know what I'm talking about. The soul takes a bit of unpacking. It's probably best summed up in in three words, mind, emotion, and will. And we specifically looked at the mind and emotional areas over the last few weeks. But what about the spirit? It's best described as that inmost part of us, that at the core of our being, that is made, designed for relationship with God. You know, when, we, when we became Christians, that part of us became alive to God. You know, the Bible tells us that previously we were dead, lifeless, utterly unresponsive to God. And I have to say, of course, that would be my story too. I went to school that was associated with a Church of England cathedral in the town. We were known as the cathedral school. Believe you me, we did church. And in regards to Christianity, it did nothing for me. I mean, as far as I was concerned, if there was a God who was pointless, irrelevant, and completely disconnected to real life. But I was aware of one thing. I knew something was missing in my life. Uh, Many people today are aware of that something is missing in their lives too, but they don't know what it is. 
And hence that line from St. Augustine, our hearts are restless until they find you. For me, all that restlessness and, and longing, I really went when I became a Christian. And when I put my trust in Jesus Christ and what he had done for me. And it wasn't about buildings and services. It was a personal relationship with God. And, and I remember being forgiven. I mean, it just felt wonderfully clean on the outside. I actually didn't realize how stained I was. And I experienced such a peace. It utterly changed my life. That encounter experience with Christ, it changes our lives forever. And let me just say at this point, if you don't know that, well, I want to tell you, you can today. There will be a prayer team available for you at the end of this meeting to help you make that step. For others of you, you've already started that journey of relationship with God. But of course, this relationship was always meant to grow and it was meant to deepen. You know, we have to cultivate this area of our life. We have to nourish it. We have to feed it. We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit who fills us with the love and presence of God. However, we need to keep coming to the Lord and spending time with him, allowing the presence of the Holy Spirit to fill us and, and fill us again. Well, why? Because as somebody so eloquently put it, we leak. We need to be filled. So coming back to the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, which we've been following over this series, you can recall he was a man of great faith and tremendous exploits, bold, courageous. You know, after a great moment of triumph, he falls into deep despair. It's good to know that great exploits don't guarantee inner security. And as far as Elijah is concerned, he's done. Death looks a better option than life. And other key figures in the Old Testament, well, they've been there too. My friends, it tells me that none of us are immune from an implosion like that. And, I, and some of you have been there too, I'm sure. And I love God's care and kindness. Do you know, he's so gentle with Elijah. The journey's too much for you. It's wonderfully practical. It gives him food and sleep and rest. And again, food and sleep and rest. God is so kind. And the journey takes him to a personal encounter of God's presence at a place called Horeb. Let me read it to you. It's in 1 Kings 19, verse 8 to 14. Verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. 
I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I want to highlight three passages from three points from this passage. Um, hunger, honesty, I know that begins with H but doesn't sound like it, and hearing. Let's start with the hunger one first, shall we? What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, the first thing to notice is that Elijah has done the journey. I mean, in spite of the crisis he's been through, he's still there. And he's still coming to God. And now, of course, God has helped him. And the Bible tells us that God is for us and not against us. And Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Elijah's involved too. He's still coming to God. You know, there's a hunger in him that is still there. I mean, he may have given up on himself, but he hasn't given up on God. And I love that about the Psalms where the writers pour out their complaints to God. You know, in Psalm 42, the writer says, You have forgotten me, God. But the thing is, he's still speaking to God. And you find that time and time again in the Psalms. And there will be a number here today where your gauges are low, and perhaps in the red, and yet you're still here. You're still coming. I mean, that, that's a great decision being here today. And please, don't underestimate the importance of just turning up. I'm, I'm saying that to all of us. You know, just being there, incredibly important. I remember speaking to someone who'd been a Christian for a couple of years. They were going through a difficult season in life. And, and in the conversation, he turned to me and he said, Neil, you know why I keep coming? I said, tell me. And he, he pointed to an older person in the church who had an evident life-threatening condition. He said, I, I keep coming because that person keeps coming. You know, that person's faith and love for Jesus spoke volumes to him. The Apostle Peter lists perseverance in the middle of seven virtues in his second letter. And it, that part is all about adding to your faith. My friends, perseverance is a must. It will grow character in your life. Somebody once said, don't forget in the night what God has shown you in the day. Elijah still has a hunger for God. 
And Mount Horeb would be full of meaning for Elijah. Ten Commandments were given there. Moses was in the presence of God's glory there. And Christians, you don't have to go on a 40-day pilgrimage to a special place. In Jesus, God has come to us to be with us. And through this new birth and the filling of the Holy Spirit, we have his presence in us. It's not so much that we need to pray, you know, God be with me, but, but more God help me to be more aware of the reality of your presence. Elijah kept coming. It's one of the ways of acknowledging his hunger for the Lord. Where, wherever you are in your journey, my friends, increase your hunger and keep coming. Now, the second point here is honesty. And it's important to recognize, you know, there's a two-way conversation going on here. What are, what are you doing here, Elijah? I, I hope you stay around long enough in God's presence to hear and speak to you. I say that because he's always asking questions. Where are you? He says to Adam. Who told you you were naked? To Cain, he says, where is your brother? Where is your faith? What are you doing here, Elijah? Look, it's not that God doesn't know the answers. It's more, I think, that we don't. We haven't paused enough to sift through our own feelings and actions and motives. Why do I get so anxious? Why did I say that? Why do I think people always think the worst of me? You know, relationships need time and space. It'd be good to ask, well, what question is God asking of you? And remember this, he's a good father. Elijah feels safe enough to say it as it is. You know, I'd be very zealous for the Lord Almighty. I, I don't think he's being pompous here. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Actually, part of what he says isn't strictly true, but it's where he is at. God isn't looking for nice prayers. He wants real prayers. He wants an authentic relationship with you and me. And this is the thing. Elijah feels safe. He doesn't seem concerned about whether this matter is too subject to, I mean, too sensitive a subject to broach. We don't have to wait for the right time, my friends, to tell our father about particular matters. Now, many years ago, someone was leading a meeting at King's. And at, at the beginning of the meeting, they encouraged people to leave all their issues and baggage of life at the door and come into worship. And, and afterwards, we, we had a conversation about it. And, um, and because the, the essence of that is that then you go out and you pick that all up again. Well, we don't encourage that. See, bring it all to the Lord, the whole of you, all that's going on. And then let God bring perspective and insight into your life as, as you worship him. So make time to have greater honesty with God. Elijah is hungry for God's presence and he's honest. And lastly, he wants to hear God's voice. There was wind, earthquake, fire, and God's not in it. And perhaps Elijah's used to God in the dramatic. 
After all, this man was fed by ravens. He raised the dead. He had fire come down from heaven on an altar that he had built. And perhaps you're expecting to hear God in the dramatic. And, and lots of Christians get sucked into that one. You probably heard preachers say, and possibly I said it too, you know, one word from God will completely change your life. And actually, I believe that's true. But it's more true that we walk with God on a daily basis. This is about a relationship which is cultivated day by day. And we take time to cultivate a relationship. We get to know the person's voice. See, and, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. Uh, my phone now, of course, tells me who rings. But prior to that innovation, my phone would ring. And within seconds, I'd know if it was death. All she had to do was say hi. I, I mean, I know her voice. I don't need to ask who it is. Her voice is instantly familiar. We've been married 44 years. Uh, mind you, I can assure you it hasn't taken me that long to recognize her voice. But we, we know each other. And, you know, it's the same with my children and with my parents. And even though I wouldn't see them physically, I knew it was them. I knew their voice. You know, if you spend time with people, you know. Jesus gave this wonderful promise. My sheep hear my voice. That is the qualification to hearing God speak. If he's your shepherd, you're his sheep. You don't have to be a great theologian or church leader. My sheep hear my voice. It takes time to cultivate, but it's a promise to you. How do you hear God? I, I've never heard God speak to me in an audible voice, and I suspect if we did a poll, not many of you would either. But Jesus did say, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. A primary way God speaks to us is through his word, the Bible. And, and yes, yes, I know, he, he speaks through people and nature and prophecy and situations and dreams and so forth. But the primary way he speaks is through his word. You, you have to give this your attention. I mean, it's one of the best ways to fill your spiritual tank. We grow as God's people by making time for his word. If Sunday mornings are your only mealtime in God's word, my friend, you are missing out. Now, one of the things I've enjoyed as we started the year is uh, being with the church as we go through the New Testament and year reading plan. And, and you, you actually could join it today. It's on, the, it's on the website. It's a short passage every day. And, and then after that, there's a, a page for people to share if they like. And that part has a heading. And it says, what is the one thing God is saying to you? Look, please, make specific time. It's helpful to have a specific place. And find a way that works for you through worship, prayer, reading the Bible. But you have to make the time. Time to read, time to reflect, time to stop. 
Time to pray. I have a journal. And in my journal, most days, I make a note of things that God has brought to my attention. You see, the Holy Spirit guides and prompts and convicts and he leads us. The Bible tells us his spirit bears witness with our spirit. I'm still learning to discern promptings of the Holy Spirit. I do take time out to think about my conversations, my actions, my motives. I know that we are loved people and our Father wants the best for us. He doesn't condemn us because the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Fifteen times in the New Testament alone, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. A.W. Tozer is a Christian author, and he quite simply writes, It is the nature of God to speak, and he wants to speak to you. Meet him in his word. Get a notebook. Start to write what you think he's saying about himself and what he's saying to you. My sheep hear my voice. And he loves being with you.